You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Welcome to Global Trade This Week, episode two, 2004, 2024. And we are back in the saddle. I'm Doug Draper. I'm uh, host number one, coming to you from uh, the great state of California, Fresno, California. Once a month, I usually run this show out here. Um, it's great to be out. And back in the saddle, as I mentioned, is my other co-host on um, the other side of the coast, Mr. Pete Mento. Pete, what's going on, man? I don't even, where does this podcast find you this week? I am in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which yeah. I believe means the good land. That If you haven't seen, if you haven't seen um, uh, Wayne's World, you're not going to get that joke, but Alice Cooper is from Milwaukee and he he does a bit there. But uh, yeah, I'm in beautiful uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which I do love this town. I love this town. Right now, not so cool, buddy. It's uh, It's been snowing like crazy. And I drove from Madison to Milwaukee yesterday in an absolute whiteout blizzard. It was, it's been a trying couple of days with the weather, but people here are nice and uh, yeah. it's a wonderful place to hang out. So in Milwaukee yeah. this week, I'll be doing the show next week from Seattle. I have a seminar um, with DSV that we're doing on next Thursday. Pretty excited for um, the first of our of our seminars, our 24 city seminar run for 2024. Yeah, that sounds interesting, exciting, and tiring, right? I'm sure there'll be some travel stories uh, coming down the pike. So yeah, there will. But just, I love talking about this stuff, Doug. So I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The thing about Milwaukee, if anybody knows, there's Summerfest. Right, oh, it's all the man. concerts, and I know enough to be dangerous. But I heard this year my my uh, in law my in laws are from Milwaukee, in the whole area. Uh, Oconomowoc is really where they're from. Anyway, Summerfest used to be like ten days in a row, just boom, 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 roll up in your Harley, set up camp, and just go bazonks. Now I think it's like three weekends in a row, and it's all gotten to the point where they can bring more people in. And maybe that's been going on for a couple of years, but the first time I heard about it was was yes was. Uh, over the holiday break, but yeah, it's morphing and changing. But Summerfest is a good, uh, a good party to be had up there. Yeah, it's like uh, Jazz Fest in New Orleans, which is four weekends now, Friday, mm -hmm. Saturday, Sunday. You know, you're getting twelve days of music now. Same thing here, and the bands they get for Summerfest are awesome. Just mm -hmm. awesome. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. My, one of my favorite stories about Milwaukee is when you fly into the airport, somebody on top of one of the warehouses painted in gigantic letters, "Welcome to Cleveland." <laughs> is that still there today it's still there yeah so when you fly in and you look out the window depending on which side of the aircraft you're on you'll see on top you know welcome to cleveland these big letters i, I think that's fantastic yeah yeah you know what else is fantastic pete this show and it's about to start with our topics here in three two one you go first all right thanks buddy so topic number one this week is um Something that I think all of us on the custom side were waiting to get a definitive answer on. And boy, did we get it. On the 18th of December, Customs released a ruling where a relatively um, small operator of Customs House Brokerage asked Customs if it would be against the law for them to use foreign employees to enter all the data entry on a Customs entry and to clearly define the role of a Customs House Broker. This all comes from a very simple rule when anyone who becomes a customs broker learns this that says that all customs business must be supervised by a U.S. customs house broker and that it must be done in the U.S. customs territory. 
Well, what was customs business? Right, that's that's a little harder to define. Many of us have thought that it was the transmission of the entry to CBP, um, talking to customs face to face, you know. But it's bigger than that. It's broader than that. And for probably a decade now, Doug, there's been a a real push and pull between more traditional customs house brokers and the quote unquote e brokers who are using this gray area to do a tremendous amount of the work in foreign service centers. They also used foreign service centers for HTS classification, um, commercial invoice uh, creation, document creation, uh, holding their holding their records. Well, Customs has come out and definitively said that can't be done. This is all considered Customs House business, and it must be done in the U.S. Customs territory. This is also on the heels of a pretty big change with Customs regarding how they enforce us the Customs House brokerage community. In 2022, the rules changed where we take on more responsibility. And Customs has said without saying, right, they've, they've kind of put through the coconut telegraph that they were going to give the Customs House brokers a little time to get ready. So there was mm-hmm. going to be not a grace period so much, but some, some time to cr- kind of catch up with the regulations. And now in 2024, we're going to be under more scrutiny and more enforcement than we have ever before. And I think there's going to be a lot of companies who are going to find out that their business practices were not necessarily in line with what customs expected. How they enforce it, I don't know. I, I can't tell you for sure. I don't know if they're going to shut people down. I don't know if there's going to be big penalties for the past or if they're just going to say, hey, knock it off. Now that mm-hmm. we've come out and definitively said something, you need to move on in the right direction. My 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 inclination, right, is that they're they're going to actually go after people for things they've done in the past. Because customs house brokers, as hard as this might be to believe, are enforced even more brutally than importers. We have a pivotal role. Customs thinks we should know better. And they generally come after us harder than the people that we serve. So it's going to be an interesting year of change for a lot of companies that have been doing it this way. I, uh, I'm praying for them. And of customs coming down pretty hard on those of us that transact this business to do it the way that they expect us to, Doug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. When you uh, mentioned this topic this morning, I was uh, unaware, right? And I'm sure I am a perfect example of the vast majority of people in the supply chain logistics world. But I, I think the key two things here, and I'm sure we're going to mention this first one multiple times as we walk through the show over the years. It's an election year. What do you do? Do you chill out and let it ride? Do you uh, enforce? Depends on what side of the uh, of the group you're trying to you know, gain votes from and everything else. So we're going to be very, I am personally going to be very careful on my comments related to political matters. Um, but the other piece is, um, what about the AI? Is this going to hyper accelerate the use of artificial intelligence to do the um, blocking and tackling of, a, of an entry? We spoke about that on the horizon. So did the horizon just become uh, a lot closer and smack us in the face with this ruling? And it's all going to depend on, on if they, uh, uh, the enforcement strategy. So that's the billion dollar question, Doug. What you just asked is given how technology has become so pervasive in our industry and everybody, I don't, I don't care if you're doing truck brokerage, customs house brokerage, air freight, ocean freight, we all use our technology platforms to make us more efficient by inserting information and language into documents. Mm-hmm. So what's customs going to say about this when so many logistics platforms, you know, our operating systems, were created with that premise of speeding things up by having connectivity from the point of origin to the point of import. 
Mm-hmm. It's going to be a hell of a year, Doug. Yeah, good point. I like that one. I like that topic. All right, man. My uh, first topic is um, 2024 is going to be the year of autonomous trucking, right? Um, there's been so much hype in the last couple of years related to electric vehicles and how do we get these Class A trucks to uh, uh, to become uh, electrified, right? And if anybody's followed it, the the Nikola saga, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he's now in jail for fraud, you know, the whole nine yards. And so that's kind of waned. It's a little more difficult. There's all kinds of challenges with weight issues. How do you charge these things? It's a whole nother top, uh, topic, right? But the infrastructure to support something of that scale um, is just not in place right now. And so that's going to be challenging, especially in, in easy, adaptable markets like the LA ports, uh, Houston, and things of that nature. So my take is that it's going to be the year of autonomous trucking, specifically with uh, a company called Kodiak Robotics, right? Um, I just saw that um, their sixth generation is ready to go live uh, in Texas. And the, the cool, a couple things here, Pete. Number one is the way I understand it, it's a retro uplift of existing. So they're not building new new trucks. They're they're uh, uplifting or retrofitting them. So that means the adaptability is a little more quick quickly. Um, there's a heck of a lot of redundancy in these things. I'm sure that is an absolute get it. Makes me feel safer. Um, I think they're going to hype that and really underscore the safety, especially with the uh, 737 Max that's transpired in the last couple of days. Um, here's the, the the one thing that companies like Werner, IKEA, the U.S. Department of Defense, Tyson, CR England, and then Loadsmith just committed to like 800 units. Maersk has even engaged. So. There's lots of um, big names, multi-billion dollar companies that are embracing this. And uh, obviously this works well out West, right? Texas is the is the uh, epicenter of testing. So the I-35 corridor um, is going to be huge for this. And then the long hauls from Kansas City to Denver, Denver to uh, Salt Lake City, if you go up and around. But here, here's the deal, Pete. Last thing I'll say on this. Is here's what autonomous trucking brings. Uh, trucking brings to the table: efficiencies, managing driver shortages, safety, maintenance, reducing accidents. All of those things equal saving money, right? The challenge with EV is it's a nice to have, but in the big picture, it didn't save any money. And these are all businesses, and you got to follow the money. And so the adaptability of the autonomous trucking industry. There's others out there beyond Kodiak. But it's really going to ramp up in 2024, and it's all related to uh, the cost savings that are involved. Not a nice to have with uh, an electric uh, semi that you can showcase because you have one in your fleet. So it's the year of autonomous trucking, my man. What do you think? I just want to clarify because you know when I saw this topic come across last night, um, this is converting just regular diesel and fossil fuel trucks to have autonomous control. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to learn more about it. So, and it, when that came up last night and I saw the topic, I kind of had this, I'm a moron moment, like, you know, <laughs> like a, a Pete mental moment. Why hadn't I heard more about this? Like, why haven't we heard more about this idea of converting what's working now, working now, I guess, you know, depends on who you are, whether or not it's working, but these diesel trucks, smaller gas trucks, you know, why haven't we just 
try to convert their drive systems to one that's controlled by a robot. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm like, why haven't I heard a lot about, why haven't I heard a lot about this? Is Was it because the people that were making these trucks are in direct competition with the EVs and they didn't want to, or they didn't have the technology? You know, I, I didn't know. But yeah. um, what a fascinating topic, Doug. You know, what a, what a fascinating idea that in the meantime, while we figure out the weight problems and the, the battery problems, maybe we can take one of the things that we think will be an, an effective solution and apply it to the existing technology. Really, I mean, uh, why aren't we seeing more about this? Why aren't more people talking about it? If I were Killingworth or Mac or someone like that, you know, I'd, I'd be pushing this on my trucks I have now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's definitely a strategy they have rolling out. So we'll have to have our listeners uh, do a little bit more research and give us your feedback. We ask for feedback when we post these things out. So, so give us your thoughts on, on, on what, what you think there. So, all right. My favorite part of the show is halftime. You and I banter about stuff that has nothing to do with logistics, maybe every once in a while. Um, but uh, it's brought to you by Cap Logistics, which is our producer and our, and our host and providing us the platform. So Pete, you let it rip, brother. I, I got a, a cool one, but I want, I want to go second this go around. So what do you got for halftime this week? I binge a lot of shows, even shows that I've watched before because I'm I'm flying a lot and there comes a point where I just need to not work on the plane. And um, like I watched all of Game of Thrones from start to finish. I rewatched Mad Men and I was really, I mean, beyond tickled, Doug. I was, I was euphoric when yesterday morning I was having my breakfast at the Fluno Center in, at the University of Wisconsin. And I, uh, I turned, I opened up Amazon and lo and behold, my friend, Northern Exposure was available for streaming. And, and this has been something people have been crying out for. I mean, go on the internet, go on Reddit, go anywhere. And they're going to say, where is Northern Exposure? Eight seasons. I think it's 13 episodes a season. Um, and the reason that they couldn't do it was because there was so much music that was used in the show. And they were having a hard time with the rights associated with it. And I guess they've overcome that by, in many cases, laying down alternative tracks that they could get. So they would remove the music that was used before. And they've overlaid it now with music that they could get the rights to. Really interesting. But the show for me, I remember when it came on, uh, it, was, it was something that I actually bought a VCR to record. So I didn't miss episodes. And I just like the idea of a fish out of water from New York. For those who don't know, uh, he's, a, he's a doctor. And in order to pay back a loan that he was given by the state of Alaska, he has to be a doctor in a rural town. And all the personalities, all the, all the weird people that are in that small town are all very relatable. And the stories never got boring. I was fortunate that a, a, a friend of mine took me to the town in Seattle, in Washington, where they actually filmed the exterior shots of Sicily, Alaska. Beautiful. And I love that show. So I have been to Alaska a billion times, Doug. I, I, you know, shipped up there. I've, I've spent plenty of time in the great white North. It is, it's breathtakingly beautiful. It is an odd place. Uh, as much as I love it, Doug, I don't know if I, even me, you know, Mr. Curmudgeon, I don't know if I could handle living in a small Alaskan town. So that's my, my question this week, Doug, I know you're moving to a place a little more remote, but it's not remote. It's, there's still a lot of people there. Would you move to Alaska? No, 
No. Nope. <laughs> Next topic. No, you, you you wouldn't be able to do it. No, which seems counterintuitive because of where I'm moving um, uh, or have technically moved. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. It, it would be fun for a bit, and then I think I would go nuts, especially in in the winter. The beauty, all those type of things, I get it, right? But that's what I don't get, Doug. Like you and Keenan are big skiers. You're big outdoors people. I would think that it would be. I'm a big hunter, you know. So for mm-hmm. me, Alaska would be a paradise for that part of it. But all that stuff, I mean, the two of you live outside, even mm-hmm. in the winter. So you wouldn't no. you do that? Yeah. You can eject and get back into society pretty quick in Colorado, True. right? I mean, I would yeah. I would be afraid that yeah, I'm starting to get more claustrophobic when I get older. Like I go through the Eisenhower tunnel for people that are here in Colorado. You're probably in that thing for, you know, a minute and a half if you're driving. I freak out if things slow down or that's ever stopped in there, right? I would feel the same way with the isolation of being in some town that the only way in and out is on a plane and there's a storm and I'm running out of food and I'm in a panic. So, uh, no, I would not want to live in Alaska. I'm interested to see what Keenan thinks when we get off the show, if, if, he would, <laughs> if he would do it, if he'd be up there making his gorp and, you know, living off of moose burgers, but I guess we'll find out. All right, Doug, yeah. what's your halftime topic? All right, so mine is all about space, which is kind of like uh, Alaska to some degree, right? And so, um, you know, there was uh, a, a moon rocket. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Do you remember the name of it here? I wrote it down. I'm looking it up here. It's um, talking about the new Atlas, the the new SpaceX ones that they're doing. Yeah, yeah. This is how pathetic I am with doing it. But anyway, I was going to talk about that and how. Um, there's human remains that are um, on the uh, the rocket. And like shortly after the takeoff, it's been redirected because there's a fuel leak and there's not enough juice to get it to where it needs to be to be able to land. So the whole thing has just been, um, it's still in space. It's still doing some things, but it's coming down and uh, a human remains will not be sprinkled on, on, the, uh, on the moon. But I started doing a, um, a Peregrine. That's the name of it, Peregrine, P-E-R-I-G. E-E-R-E-G-R-I-N-E. Um, anyway, so it got me looking at some space things. And this one really caught my attention, Pete. Super important. And I, I'm, I'm going to read some of this because I don't want to mistake because this is super important stuff that's going to affect you and I probably tomorrow, right? So there's a, a, a doctor uh, who is uh, at, a, at a research university who has spent decades studying Neptune and Uranus, um, but she's not been, been involved with the study, but they're essentially saying that um, the color change in Uranus is not as dark blue as had originally um, been indicated, that those two uh, uh, planets, the color Pete, is more closely aligned. And um, Earth-based studies, this, this is what I'm gonna read here, the comprehensive study should finally put uh, both of these issues to rest. Well, I didn't even know there was an issue with the two colors of, of, of a planet, right? And it will, and this is the other one, it will be vital. I don't even understand what this means, Pete. It will be vital in placing the discoveries of this future mission into their broader context, right? So I don't, it's, I don't get it. I don't understand how discovering that one planet is a different shade of blue than we used to think of. We don't really have that many problems down here on Earth. And so I, I just caught that out as of the um, absurdity of certain things. And I'm sure there's some scientists out there that are going to, you know, rip me because it has some some sort of value. But 
my life is really going to change tomorrow, Pete, now that I know that information. What, what about you? Well, Doug, a uh, friend of the show, Alan Gear, who you know, you met him at Microsoft. Yeah. He is uh, he is the only person that I know that is more obsessed with the space program than I am. And uh, we've we've talked about stuff like this. So the, the planets you're talking about have been unexplored by human probes. And the colors that we see are generally a good indicator of the environment that's the gases, the, the material that's on that planet and the spectrums of light that they, you know, they show up on. So our ability to explore, to send probes and that kind of thing will be, will be really go, go hand in hand with the environment that it's going into. And if we've been basing our science off of what we've been seeing, right, um, we might have to completely change the way that we determine how we're going to land on those places with probes in the future, what it could mean for human exploration. There's some planets that we'll, we'll probably never put a person on like Mars and Jupiter, but Venus is a possibility that will, that's the next step after Mars. That's probably where that comes from. Uh, you know, I, if you're not watching for all mankind, it's an incredible show mm-hmm. and it gets into the opportunities that come from space exploration, rare earth minerals in this season, they're, they're actually focused on exploring, finding, um, meteorites out in space. Uh, in this particular season, one is made almost entirely of iridium and iridium is, is very important for the future of EVs and, and our technology here, but there's very little of it. So how would we use exploration to get that? A lot of these rare earth materials are on Mars. You know, would it be worth bringing that back through from, from that way? That's how they're going to monetize these explorations. That's probably where it comes from. But yes, Doug, um, that is a pretty weird, interesting, but like, you know, weird area of science. I would love for someone, Alan probably knows, to tell mm-hmm. us why the colors are so important. Um, but, but that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, it just points out how dumb the two of us are that we don't think about <laughs> Dumb, uneducated, and disinterested. Right. That yeah, was my, my we, we move boxes of crap for people. That's what we do. We're Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it, it would be fun to talk to Alan about it because maybe I'm completely wrong and it will literally impact my life starting tomorrow. But um we'll we'll, we'll have to see. So yeah, buddy. anyway, that wraps up halftime. Cap Logistics helped put that together for us. Uh please check them out on their service offerings at caplogistics.com. Um all right, bud, you're up number two. Second topic, I was doing some research for my seminars, and I came across a pretty interesting statistic. American LNG gas exports from November to December, since the uh, October 7th, you know, nastiness that went on in Israel, more importantly, with the Red Sea issues, have gone up 35%, 35%. So American energy exports are going through the roof right now. And that has a lot to do with the inability of vessels to go through the Suez and to transit the Red Sea. And um, in particular, Europe needing to get as much energy as possible from the U.S. So if you start reading about this on Bloomberg and Forbes and Financial Times and The Economist, all of them say that this points to what's probably going to be a decade or more or more of American increased exploration for natural gas, drilling for natural gas, and then exporting it which is um, super important for the American economy. But another knock-on effect that they mentioned is increased exploration and drilling is probably going to mean more oil and gas in the U.S., which should probably dramatically lower gas prices. Mm -hmm. So really interesting that there was um, a knock-on effect, like a silver lining of what's going on over there, 
which is um, kind of a re-embracing of American energy exports and the money that comes from that. So it was a fascinating rabbit hole I went down over the last couple of days. But 35%, that's that's no small potatoes, dude. That's that's a that's not marginal. That's a big deal. Yeah. And you're saying it's probably going to grow even higher. That this time next year, if the conflict continues, it could be as high as a 50% increase. So pretty mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Well, when you got all the chaos and you got to drive uh, or, or navigate your vessel around the Cape of uh, the, the Horn of Africa, right? Um, hey, let's just go over here to the U.S. and buy some stuff and have the transit time a little bit shorter. And, yeah. and our whole supply chain is condensed back to the level that it was. And uh, our citizens and the things we need to use oil from are not impacted. So totally get it. The one thing, Pete, that you just brought up that I had not thought of is that if there's a buyer and we have uh, their product they want to buy in the ground um, and we're going to find more of it to sell more of it, we're also going to benefit. Um, initially, when I was, saw this topic, I'd be like, we're going to be, it's going to be punitive and fe- uh, punitively affecting us. Yeah. But I think you're right. Just turn on, literally turn on the gas and, let, and let's see. And um, I think it will, um, it's an interesting spin. I had not, not thought of that one, Pete. But yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out. One more thing to add to that, Doug, you know, West Texas guy, Colorado, Kansas, Louisiana as well. A lot of jobs, a lot of jobs are dependent on this particular uh, area. And because of our embracing of alternative energy, a lot of those jobs have been slowly slipping away. This could be a reignition of of that whole job market, which, you know, Odessa and, and the Permanian Basin up in Texas, they, they need it. So um, it's good, good for Canada as well, which I think I neglected to mention yeah yeah all right doug bring us home bud all right well this this headline right i always try to come up with a a fun headline and and this one is don't sleep on bradley j right and i'm talking about brad jacobson you know i don't know if you've seen he's starting to well he he grew xbo through acquisitions and mergers um he made a lot of money for a lot of different people. And, and then he split it off, right? So he built it up and then he split it off. And now he's moving on to his next thing. Um, a lot of people may not realize that he did the same general concept with United Rentals, which does commercial renting of, uh, of larger equipment. And then uh, not waste management, but there was another a waste company that he started. Um, so his angle is ingenious to find uh, unsexy, under the radar, um, um, not poorly automated, but just old mom and pop operating industries that are absolutely critical and, and taking them up. So what I'm talking about, Pete, and I'm going to pull, pull some of this stuff up. So he's starting a new venture called QXO, QXO, and he's going to basically have a tech forward building products distribution um, through accelerated mergers and acquisitions. That's, that's the aspect. So you know, the Georgia Pacifics of the world, uh, the ABC Supply, those type of companies that are providing it, um, construction, HVAC, infrastructure, landscaping. And he's going to bring it all together, overlay some tech, and, um, and and then probably break it off in the future. I don't know if that's true or not, but the guy found another unsexy industry that he's going to ramp up, um, change the dynamic and, and, how it, uh, and how it grows. And think about the housing market. Pete, I think there's like, you know, you could talk about different statistics, but 3 million, you know, homes uh, that are short, 3 million uh, units or dwellings uh, underneath demand. 
right now. And so there's going to be a whole heck of a lot of building where that interest rate drops a little bit more. There's going to be a lot of retro building, uh, a lot of infrastructure management and, and replenishment. So it's genius, right? I have a lot of respect for this guy. Um, he's done some amazing things. And, um, you know, don't sleep on ba uh, Bradley J. You know, he, he's going to uh, do some amazing things. And I, I think his name's going to be up there with Gates and Bezos with, with everything that, that, that he's doing. And if anybody knows Brad Jacobson or Bradley Jacobson, you know, we want him on the show. I want him on the show. Hell, I'll just do my own little podcast on the side and interview him. I think the guy is amazing. He's done some, some amazing things. Very forward thinking. And uh, check out XPO, or excuse me, QXO. And oh, by the way, he's involved with the logistics company that can move all this stuff around. Uh, yeah. XPO. So it, it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing develops. And uh, anyway, I saw it on the news the other day. Really dove into it. And thought it was really interesting and wanted to share it with everybody. Yeah. Uh, I started looking. I hadn't heard about any of this, Doug, until you brought it up. And it's very Berkshire Hathaway, if, if that's a way of describing it. You know, it's yeah. it's a... Uh, it's a bedrock kind of industry that could use some disruption, but it already makes great money. So just by doing it the way it's done now, there's just nice cash to it. So if you can find a way to make it more efficient, you're going to make even more money. And then doing it at scale, you're going to be able to control markets. So yeah, this was a, a pretty interesting topic in that it has so much to do with what we do. A lot of those materials are imported. A lot of them are are going to be moved vast miles from from where they were originated to where they're going, and I, I just think it's uh, it's interesting that even in 2024, when you think nobody can find a way to automate something, no one can find a way to combine it, there's still so many industries like this that could really gain from cons consolidation and uh, insertion of some technology, and then just having somebody really move it at scale. So fascinating, really fascinating. Got yeah. a feeling it's going to make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Well, if anybody knows Bradley J, have him have him call us, man. I'd love to talk to him in more detail about it. So we'll just anyway. have to stalk him on LinkedIn, buddy. That's what we'll do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Cool. Well, all right, that's um, all I got. That's all I got. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to do it for us this week at Global Trade This Week. Brought to you by our good friends at Cap Logistics. To learn more about Cap Logistics and their services, check them out at caplogistics.com. I bring this up all the time. We don't work for Cap Logistics. And for years now, they have been supporting the show, making sure that this content gets out to you. So please do us a favor and go ahead and check them out. Um, thanks to Keenan back in the booth. And thanks to all of you for watching and listening. And we'll see you again next week with another edition of Global Trade This Week. See you, Doug. Excellent. Thanks. Take care, guys.